And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your hosts, Ken and Trevor. We're part of Unhinged Radio, powered by Belly Up Sports. Make sure you follow them on Twitter, at Radio Unhinged and at Belly Up Sports. Also, make sure to go check out bellyupsports.com, where you can see all the great articles that everyone from the network writes, as well as all the different podcasts that are on Belly Up. As always, you can find Trevor and I on social media. Trevor is at the BleacherCon 1, and I'm at the BleacherCon 2. Our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection podcast, and our link tree where you can find all the links to our partners, Dr. Squatch, All Natural Soap for Men, as well as our merch page. Trevor, how are you doing on this Thanksgiving weekend? Ken, I'm doing great. As I just said, I'm actually feeling a little bit saucy this morning, so we'll see if that's uh, a little bit of uh, an omen for a good episode to come. Uh, I'm I'm in great spirits. My Calgary Stampeders in the Canadian Football League knocked off the dreaded Saskatchewan Rough Riders for the second week in a row. So I'm super excited. Back in the hunt. We got a big game coming next weekend between our two teams, the BC Lions and Calgary Stampeders, fighting for a playoff position. That we are. Very exciting. It's going to be a great game. Kind of, you know, the, the Calgary Stampeders have come out of nowhere, back from the dead almost, and now... I saw a few people actually going online. They might be the team to beat in the West after Winnipeg, where they think they're they're coming, they're rolling around. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't see it coming. They were just horrible. So kind of exciting. Really looking forward to this weekend's game, Ken. I, I'm sure you are as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the the Lions. This weekend, the Lions don't play, and it's I think their second bye week in about three or four weeks. So uh, there hasn't been a lot of Lions games, but. As much as I, I don't like to see your stamps win whenever someone beats the Riders, I, I am a fan of that. I, I was surprised because I was going back and forth between the Canucks and Oilers preseason game and going back to the Stamps-Riders game. And every time I flipped over, it was a Bo Levi turnover that I saw. And the fact you guys were still in the game was, uh, I don't know if that's more to speak on their play or the Riders play because the Riders came out hot, but they... Uh, they kind of cooled off. The game against the Lions could have gone either way. And I think, you know, if it wasn't for a missed field goal and a horrible punt late, the Lions should have won that game. I, absolutely. the They weren't really in it. The Riders weren't really in it. And it was just a couple bad plays from the, the Lions and they capitalized. But that's what teams do to pick up Ws. Exactly. And actually, this is a great segue into next week. We have a, a, a CFL guest joining us on our show where we can't wait to talk to this guy, huge fan of the Canadian Football League, travels around from city to city, checking out all the games. I am very much looking forward to this. I'm just going to tease it a little bit. Can't let everything out of the bag, but looking forward to next week's episode. It'll be a big, big Canadian Football League only episode. And you know what, Ken, we have to do those every once in a while. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're some of the funnest ones to do. I mean, we've, we've had some players, coaches, co-GM on the show. It uh, it's a lot of fun getting to talk CFL with with anyone, really. Exactly. But enough about next week's show, Ken. Let's focus on this week's show. It's going to be a chance for us to talk about our two favorite teams. It's a week right before the start of the the NHL hockey season, and we have to talk about the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. What are they? Where are they going to finish? What do we expect? What do we want to see? What's reality? It's our preview show for both the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. But before we get to that, today, sorry, Sunday is actually Mental Health Day, World Mental Health Day. And we've had a few stories come up recently in the NHL that 
we need to talk about like this is comes you know right in, in good timing it, it's it is an opportunity where a few NHL players have really opened up to the fans and I applaud them for it so Ken why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about some of the stories and about World Mental Health Day and well not just in the NHL but with specific to the NHL yeah I, I think World Mental Health Day is very important and I think it needs needs to be on everyone's mind I think a little more than just one day of the year I mean I know I'll personally say I have my own struggles I have you know there's days where I feel good there's days where I don't and uh for the longest time I never really knew how to deal with it and I always just kind of like my problem my issues I'll keep it to myself and that's not the way to do it you need to be able to talk and work things out and just recently, a few days ago, Carey Price of the Montreal Canadiens uh, put out that he was entering the NHL's player assistance program. And I think it's great for Carey Price to do that, to get the help, the assistance he needs, uh, assistance, help, however you want to say it. I think it's great because it's showing that it's okay to say, hey, I need, I need a hand, I need help. And you don't see that a lot. A lot of times, you know, we talk, Trevor, about players and injuries and the expectation of just, you know, toughen up, play through it. Well, there's certain things you can and can't do. And I think trying to play through or toughen up, regardless if it's within sports or not, mental health should not be one of them. And Carey Price is the latest. Uh, Jonathan Drouin actually came out, another Montreal Canadian, came out a few days before him to say the reason he didn't play a good portion of last season was because of his mental health. I believe his was anxiety. And, you know, everyone expects these guys like, oh, you're getting paid millions of dollars. Just walk, go out and play. Well, that's they're human beings. Everyone is a human being that has their own issues that you don't know about. And frankly, don't need to know about. Uh, Robin Lehner is another great example of someone who is probably one of the first I could be wrong on this but from from what I know Robin Lehner especially in the NHL is one of the first players and people to come out and be very vocal and open with his mental health issues and the need for change and the need for acceptance and he's very open with it I don't think he's ever shied away from talking about it um with Robin Lehner though I do want to say something I was very disappointed in seeing some of the comments not just from trolls on the internet but potentially like these were also some of the people who cover sports saying that when Robin Lehner spoke out about the issues he brought up with teams giving out the benzos and Ambien and how they don't treat injuries and pain appropriately there was a lot of people that supported them but there was the people out there saying oh Robin Lehner's having a uh, an episode. Oh, he's bipolar. Oh, his mental health is wrong again. They didn't actually listen to what he said. They just pointed the finger at his mental health issues. And I thought that was absolutely inappropriate and disgusting. It, it, it's not a stigma. It's okay to have those things happening in your life. It doesn't make you any less of a person. And what I also liked about it so the last point here is like the NHL actually changed the name of the program from the NHL substance abuse program 
where it focused more on if you had issues with alcohol or drugs and things like that to the player's assistance program. Because when I first heard it, I went to first thing, oh, Carey Price has a substance abuse problem. And it's like, well, no, that's not the program anymore. They've changed it to put the focus more on the person, not the issue, whether it is mental health or substance. You said it just about a minute back where you said there's a stigma attached to it and there should not be. You're, it is, you're 100% accurate in that statement. There, there cannot be a stigma attached to discussing mental health. Everybody deals with mental health and everybody should seek help for it and assistance. We're not in this alone. Like we have families, we have friends, we have, you can go to doctors, psychologists, we don't be in this alone. I suffer from extreme anxiety in my life. And I find one of the best outlets is actually just doing this show with you, Ken. It's just a chance to just talk, talk about something I love. It's a release for me. Watching sports is a release for me. Everybody has to have that release. And I think it's very powerful that someone as big as Carrie Price can come out and say, I need help. Jonathan Drouin, I need help. Good on these guys. And you know what? Good on the NHL for changing the program. So it's not like you said, hey, oh, he's a, he's a drug addict. No, that, that's not what this is. This is a player seeking help. And nobody should ever troll anybody, lash out, say anything negative for somebody for trying to better themselves and become a better human being. If you're trolling somebody for trying to become a better human being, that tells me everything I need to know about you. You're the one that's a terrible human being, and maybe you should seek help. Carrie Price, Jonathan Joanne, Robin Lehner, and anybody else who's enrolled in this program, good for you. I I applaud you. Yeah, and I, I just want to say I absolutely commend not just these guys, you know, that we just talked about, but everyone, whether they're in sports or not, that puts mental health at the forefront and is open openly speaking about it and making it easier for everyone else to open up because I know for, as I said, for myself, for the longest time, I didn't, and it's, it's not healthy. This is a very powerful topic and I'm glad we got a chance to briefly discuss it today. We could do multiple episodes on just this topic alone. It's that important. Moving on though, Ken, into our, uh, our main topics for this week. And that is our season previews for the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames. I think both of us are kind of in very similar situations with our teams where there's lots of questions, lots of kind of enthusiasm, a little bit unknown as to, you know, how's this season going to play out? I draw a lot of parallels between the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. And it starts at the very top. And I mentioned this on John Eastope's show and our season preview with Brad, uh, Brad Living and Jim Benning. I think they're both on the hot seat. I just, it fascinates me. These two teams are just so similar, in my opinion, in what we're going to see. And I think with the expectations, Ken, I'm going to let you go first here. Why don't you kind of give us a rundown of the Vancouver Canucks heading into the 2021-2022 NHL season? Yeah, well, I don't think that the Canucks season last year could have gotten any any worse than it did. They, you know, they kind of faltered throughout. They were decent at times and they were not at others and they then they got hit with the COVID issue and they were out for quite some time and it was a very very tough uphill battle they put themselves in and they came out of that season with 
a lot of questions and Benning made it through the off season and he said that they were going to be aggressive and he took a lot of ribbing and heat for saying that they were going to be aggressive after finishing last in the North division. Now, do I think they finished last if they didn't go through that COVID part? And I, I don't know, they probably wouldn't have finished last, but it, it was a very disappointing season, but Jim Benning did exactly what he said he was going to be. He went out and he was aggressive. He moved out the um, Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle contracts. He bought out Braden Holtby. He bought out Jake for 10 in which should have been done. You should never have been signed to that contract. He should have been dealt a long time ago, bought out whatever, because he was just, he was a draft bust and it wasn't working, but he finally he said enough is enough. Plus the other reasons and, and got rid of him. He freed up a lot of money. He did bring in money via trade when he moved out uh, Beagle, Roussel and Erickson. He brought in Oliver Ekman Larson, but he also brought in Connor Garland, which I think for what they've signed him to a contract, 4.95 is a steal. He's, he's That is going to be a great second-line player to add depth to this team. Jim Benning added depth at an appropriate cost to this team. Our fourth line is not making $12 million anymore. The, the bottom six is designed exactly for what it's supposed to be. Jason Dickinson was brought in to play third line center minutes. That's a great pickup. Brandon Sutter was signed to a one year, $1.125 million deal to play fourth line center. I don't, I don't hate that. They brought him back at more. I probably would not be as thrilled with that, but they brought in defensive depth. And the one thing I will say, I listen to, Vancouver Sports Radio, and everyone's harping on the defense. You know, OEL's done. OEL's horrible. Tucker Pullman at two and a half million. What are you doing? Luke Shen. They, they brought in guys that can do the job in the bottom pairings in the NHL. And I thought that was exactly what they needed to do because they didn't have a lot of defensive depth. The players that they've brought in, Oli Ulevi may be on the outs with the Canucks. There's rumors swirling around Twitter from people who are usually pretty accurate and very in the know in the Vancouver sports scene, especially with the Canucks, that are saying the Canucks are looking to maybe deal Oli Ulevi. Well, that was the guy they selected fifth overall and is now on the way out, but he's underperformed. And instead of sitting on him like they did with Jake Vertanen and hoping and hoping and hoping, if they do trade him, and essentially, you know, air quoting, cut their losses now. That would tell me that there's been a change in the executive level in management that we can't keep doing the same old thing and expecting different results. So I like the offseason that Jim Benning had. And I think realistically, for me, this is a team that should compete for the playoffs. I'm not putting them in a, any cup contender status but this is a team where if things go right i put them finishing third in the pacific division they could finish as high as second they could finish fifth like this that middle range 
is going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch the competition between the Oilers, Canucks, Flames, and even the Kraken, who I think will be on the outside looking in. It's going to be fun. The, the top line of Pedersen, uh, Besser, and Miller, if they want to go with the lotto line still, that's a great first line. You now have a second line of Bo Horvat, Connor Garland, uh, Niels Hoaglander. That's a solid second line that can score. Bo Horvat plays a great 200-foot game, so you don't have a defensive liability on there. Connor Garland is, I think, listed at 5'8", maybe 5'10 on skates, but he plays like he's 6'3", 2'10", and a big-bodied forward. The guy has no fear. He's out there doing the, hitting guys almost twice his size, and he's putting them down. They, uh, the third line of Jason Dickinson and Tanner Pearson and – you know, throw Tyler Mott on there or Justin Bailey, Matthew Highmore. They have options. And that's what I really like about this team is they have four lines that are built to do what they're supposed to do. They don't have anyone playing up in the lineup. They don't need to put anyone down in the lineup. They got um, Vasily Pod Colson potentially in there on a second or third line. If need be, he can go up and down. They have options up front, and I really like that for this team this year. Defensively, uh, you know, they've had OEL play with Tyler Myers. Quinn Hughes hasn't been in many play, uh, preseason games because he and Pedersen signed late, but they both looked good in the two games they did play. Uh, of course, they had their, you know, whoopsies here and there, but that was early in its preseason. Get it out now. Other than that, the two of them, on Pedersen and Hughes on the power play, looked great when they were pushing it around OEL quarterbacking a power play looked good. He kills penalties. What I saw out of OEL was not, Oh my God, this guy is a Norris candidate trophy. He's back. This is early, early OEL. No, this is OEL playing good, solid hockey, which no one said he could do. Sorry. The majority of Canucks Twitter said he couldn't do coming in here. I don't care what the, the Canucks record was in preseason. I was watching the performances in OEL and Tucker Pullman, who took a lot of heat in, in the Vancouver market. They look good. Tucker Pullman was very quiet. You didn't hear his name a lot. And as a defenseman, that's a good thing, especially when you're a defensive defenseman, because if your name is being said a lot, it's either because you're an offensive defenseman and you're scoring or you're making a lot of mistakes. But Pullman, I liked what he did. Jack Rathbone was a Good surprise who could be a nice young piece on the back, you know, bottom three could play up in the middle pairing. Uh, Luke Shen, Brad Hunt, those guys give some depth that they didn't have before. And I, I really like I say, I like what Jim Benning did, brought in Yaroslav Halak as backup to Thatcher Demko. That's a solid backup, low dollar contract, and a guy who can step in and play if need be. So they had a good offseason. I'm looking forward to them putting it together in an actual 82 game season. Problem is right now they have, they're going into the season with some injuries and questions and they were their last preseason game in East Edmonton. It was the show me what you can do for the Phil DiGiuseppe's um, Dowling. They had guys in there who were saying, okay, you're going to have to probably come in and play to start show us what you can do and win that spot. And it was nice to see that there was competition throughout uh camp this year as opposed to well this is where everyone's slotting in you actually had guys with the ability to win a job and i think some may have done that 
I'm going to circle back to Jim Benning, and I have to somewhat agree with you. I think he has had a, a pretty decent offseason. I think just the contract numbers alone that uh, – by cap hit, I'm going to say, because I'm not a huge fan of the term on the Elias Pedersen deal, but I understand it. I think you got a massive deal coming your way in a few years. Um, just based on the actual – Cap hit annual AEV of those two contracts, roughly in the 15 million range. That's a big win. That is a huge win because it very easily could have been 18, 19, $20 million. And the Canucks would have been effed. Like they really would have been. Um, good on Pedersen and Hughes, I, I guess, for taking um, team friendly deals. I'm not convinced they had to, but I'll, I'll give true, uh, not true living, uh, betting credit there. Um, I'm not a fan of the Oliver Ekman Larson trade. I understand the rationale behind it. Ekman Larson could have a rebound season. The Canucks are very thin, very, very thin on the back end. So I think bringing in a guy like Ekman Larson is taking a chance. What you got rid of to bring him in makes sense to me. Like you had a $12 million fourth line. You just mentioned it. You essentially traded a fourth line for Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland. I'm very worried about the term on that Ekman Larson deal. And I know we're doing a season preview show for 21, 22 um, in the 24, 25 season preview show that we do. I'm not convinced you're going to be singing the praises of Oliver Ekman Larson. So there, there's some short term gain on this one I'll give, but you were giving some love to the Canucks back end. I can't, I cannot do it. You got Quinn Hughes, amazing player, amazing player. Can't play defense to save his life. He's an offensive stud. He sucks in his own end. I'm just going to straight up say it. Ken, I don't think you would disagree with that statement. Who's he going to play with? Uh, Tucker Poolman? Maybe. <laughs> That's asking a lot of Tucker Poolman to all of a sudden be a number two defenseman on a team challenging for a playoff spot. I'm not saying Tucker Poolman isn't a good defenseman, but you mentioned players not playing up in the lineup. I call BS. Tucker Poolman's playing way up in the lineup over what he is accustomed to. It might work out. Oliver Ekman Larson, he's a decent player. He's a decent player. Is he going to be playing too many minutes on this back end? Possibly. Tyler Myers, I think we both would agree that's. Uh, not one of Benning's finest moves. Uh, I believe that was last offseason at $6 million. The guy has a, has a track to the penalty box about as good as to the to his player's bench. Jack Rathbone, Luke Shen, Brad Hunt, that's kind of a dog's breakfast after that of, of what's going to fill out the rest of the Canucks decor. I think they have some, some decent players back there. I haven't even mentioned Travis Hamannick. What the hell is going on there? Like... Is he playing? Is he not playing? Is that a distraction? I don't know. Well, Hamannick hasn't, he didn't opt out. So unless he retires, that right now it's either play or retire. And the Canucks, I guess, are going to have to, out of necessity, suspend him for not showing up. But whatever it is, they've come out in support of Travis Hamannick. So could it be another pure speculation? I'm not saying this it is, but could it be a situation with, like Carey Price or Jonathan, is he dealing with something else that's keeping him away from the team? So the team has come out and said, we support his decision and taking his time to figure it out. So that, to me, that says there's something more to just, he signed a two-year, $3 million contract, or a $6 million contract. It, this isn't, you know, 
he just signed that in the offseason. Something has had to have come up in between there. Now, you mentioned Tucker Pullman playing up in the lineup. He played with Josh Morrissey in Winnipeg. To me, Josh Morrissey would, is a much higher in the lineup defenseman than Tucker Pullman, but he played that role with Josh Morrissey. So to me, yeah, that's Tucker Pullman could play up in the lineup if he's playing and expected to do his role, which is more you be the defensive guy while your partner does the offensive things. And if that's the case, I don't know that he would be too much playing up in the lineup uh, that he wouldn't be used to it. Cause he would have done it in, in Winnipeg to me, Josh Morrissey is not a third pairing defenseman. He's there on the second, potentially first pairing on that team. So I, I gotta, I gotta jump in there about Tucker Poole, but if he was that important to the Winnipeg Jets, the Winnipeg Jets would have brought him back at 2.5 million. So he played 39 games last year and had what one, two points. Uh, to me, that's just not top pairing. He's he's good. Like, he's stay at home. I, I understand that. But if he was really that good and the answer to playing alongside Josh Morrissey, then Winnipeg would have been tripping all over themselves to bring him back. So I, I'm not convinced that he's as good as you think he is. I still think he's a good player. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying he's uh, a world beater or anything like that. I'm just saying he he's he was all of minus two last year for – uh, like overall, he's yep. minus one for his NHL career. So he's a guy that plays solid defensive hockey. And yep. that's what I think his expectation is for the Canucks is play defense. Don't worry about but the I rest think, of it. I, I'm going to agree with you here. And Quinn Hughes needs that. Quinn Hughes needs somebody on his right side who can play defense because that guy needs to play defense for both of them. I I understand having him there. It's not a terrible move. I'm not trying to rail on Tucker Kuhlman. I just think he's he's playing a little up in the lineup for where he probably should be. But it, it is a good fit based on Quinn Hughes's uh, uh, skill set. I'm just worried that the overall team defense of the Vancouver Canucks in general might be a little lacking and that's not my, my county flames are the same boat. So I'm by no means yeah. uh, saying that they're going to like suck. I just think then that puts a lot of pressure on that Demko and Halak to really, really stand on their head. We saw it last year where Demko did play really well. Can he follow it up for 82 games? Can Yaro Halak, you know, maintain interest being a clear backup goaltender? I, there, there's a little bit of question marks there. I like the gold, the Canucks goaltending. I think it is a strength of this team, but I do think there's a little bit of a question mark there over an 82 game season as opposed to a 56 game season. I think Halak knew his role in Boston was a backup as well because he was behind Tuka Rask. I don't think there was any question that he was a number one guy or a one B guy there. Rask was always going to be the guy. Uh, I think it's easier to settle into that role on a legit Stanley cup contender than on a team that is going to fight for a playoff spot. I think it was easier for a lack to go, well, Hey, I might win a Stanley cup playing this, these backup minutes as opposed to, I may not even get to the playoffs. So that's kind of where I'm at on that one. The battle might be more intriguing for him though. And thinking that this is going to be, we're going to have to work hard. It, it might drive him more. Hopefully. I mean, as a fan, I'd like to hope that it would, you know, the thought of fighting for a spot would drive a player. The big thing is for me, especially with the defense, Jack Rathbone is showing he's played almost every preseason game and he's looked good in all of them to the point where Oliu Levy was not playing in a lot of the games. He's put himself ahead of Oliu Levy in the depth chart 
The only problem that Jack Rathbone has is he's he doesn't have to go on waivers. Ulevi does. So that could be his downfall for not being on the team opening night if they don't move Ole Ulevi is that he can go on waivers and go up and down between Vancouver and Abbotsford. And I hope they get the kid a gas card so that he can drive between Abbotsford and Vancouver to when he gets called up. But I think for me, Quinn Hughes was penciled to play with Travis Hamannick because they did have chemistry once Hamannick came back or got kind of healthy mid season. They had that chemistry and they did play well together. They complimented each other. Yeah. Poor man's Chris Tanev, if you will, because Quinn Hughes played very well with Chris Tanev. Very poor man's Chris Tanev. <laughs> yeah, but Travis Hamannick pl- played that role to a point where Quinn Hughes' game started to turn around a little bit. He's not the greatest defensively, and I'm not going to sit here and say that he is. If he wins a Norris Trophy, it's because he scored 75 points and you know does, doesn't have a minus, you know, Drew Doughty, but. Drew Doughty shots one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll find more. Let me wait till we get to the flames too. Um, But Luke Shen. Now Luke Shen and Quinn Hughes was a very small sample size of nine games, but Luke Shen up the lineup is not a good idea. Luke Shen is a guy who will be your six and a half, seventh defenseman and in and out of the lineup. Brad Hunt is a guy who, signed to thinking that everyone thought he's always going to go to Abbotsford and provide that. Oh, we've got an injury. We need to call a guy up. Brad Hunt's put his name in the conversation to be the seventh guy as well. Like he's always put his name and they, they've talked about it a lot. And I can see why from watching the games when they were talking about him on Sportsnet 650, wherever he's gone, they've always thought, Oh, this guy's going to go to the AHL and he's always put himself on an NHL roster with his play. And I think that's that's a low-key, sneaky, good signing when you can get a guy like that who is going to give you everything he has and prove why he should be there and then do it at the NHL level and stay. Because he doesn't just make the team and then get sent down. He stays, so he does something right. I mean, overall, I like what the Canucks have done, and a lot of people ragged on their defense on paper. On paper, you could look at a roster and go, how the hell is this team in the playoffs? It shouldn't be. It's well, because when they get on the ice and they play and they practice to become a team and they put it all together and they complement each other until we see the actual lineup on the ice, it's all ifs and ors and, you know, hypothetical dreamland kind of situations. You got to see it on the ice. And for me, I'm not going to crap on the defense. It has, some things there that are obvious potential issues, but until I see it on the ice, I'm not going to lean heavily. Oh, this defense is good. They're going to be all right. Or this defense is shit. And what is this team going to do? I'm not going to go there because preseason is preseason. And like I said, I I don't care what the outcomes were. I don't care that the Canucks got shut out for nothing. I don't care that they lost the last two games to the Oilers and I'm going to play them two more times in the first 10 games of the season. Neither team iced their NHL lineup. What I liked was from the guys they brought in as depth players that'll either come in in an injury situation or potentially outwork someone for a spot. I liked what I saw from the team. I liked that they have guys making 
a million or less in the roles that they are supposed to be in. I, I, I'm optimistic that this team will be in the playoff conversation at the end of the season. I totally expect them to be in the playoff conversation at the end of the season. Uh, I just want to quickly circle back to Travis Hamannick. I just want to make sure people understand I by no means was taking any like shots at Travis Hamannick for him, you know, holding out for whatever reasons. I don't know the reasons. The reason I wanted to bring him up is because it is a little bit of a cloud hanging over the Vancouver Cucks. We don't know oh, it is. if, yes. if Travis Hamannick has personal issues and is trying to solve those. Great. I have no issue with that. And I have no issue with the Canucks supporting that. We don't know. And I want people to understand I'm not, ragging on Travis Hamannick. I actually think he's a very upstanding person. He's been part of my team's organization. He was a great Calgary Flame. His on-ice play, not as much. Off-ice, tremendous human being. So I want people to understand, I think very highly of Travis Hamannick. And if he's dealing with personal issues or whatever it is, and to be brutally honest, it's not any of my goddamn business what it is. No, it, if, that's not if the Canucks that. are supporting him because of something like that, then yes, thank you. I, I appreciate that. My outlook on the Canucks, I'm with you. This team is, they could finish second, they could finish sixth, they could finish fifth, anywhere. They have high-end talent. Elias Pedersen is, in my opinion, one of the best players in the game. If he can stay healthy, he, he seems to run into health issues every year. The guy's an elite, elite centerman, an elite sniper. Brock Besser seems to have re-energized himself and gotten back to that you know, 30, 35 goal, man, the guy can score. Bo and Horvath, it's a contract year. And it's a contract year. So if Brock Besser scores 40 goals, don't be surprised. Sorry, Jim Benning, he may not be on your team next year. Uh, <laughs> he's, he still does, RF, he's still RFA. So well, okay, well, sheet. fit that one in. <laughs> Bo Horvat is a great player. He's just an all-around great two-way player, Great number two centerman. I'm not convinced he's going to score at the rate that we've seen in the past, especially in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Would I take Bo Horvat on my team? Absolutely, I would. JT Miller's always a question mark for me. Like, there's a reason Tampa Bay got rid of him. He had a great first year. He was terrible last year. There was times last year he didn't give a shit, and you could tell. He was floating around the ice. He had teammates pissed off at him. What are you going to get out of JT Miller? Connor Garland. I want to believe he's a good player. Was he just a guy who got to score goals because he played on a really bad team in Arizona and somebody had to score? He's only had 22 goals in his biggest season. So is he that good? I think he might be. The contract is okay, $5 million. That's not terrible. Tanner Pearson, what are you going to get out of him? I'm not sure. Jason Dickinson, I know you're very high on him. Again, good depth player. The Canucks, in my opinion, are going to score. Everybody knows they're going to score. They're going to have a lethal power play. Can they get the, the lethal penalty killing to go along with it? And can they keep enough pucks out of their own out of their own net is kind of the big question to me. Uh, I expect them to be in the playoff conversation. I had them missing the playoffs because it's the Vancouver Canucks. I have to have them missing the playoffs. Do I actually think they're going to miss the playoffs? Probably not. They're going to be third, fourth in this division, right beside the Flames. So that's kind of my outlook on the Canucks. They're going to be right there when all is said and done. There are a few question marks. The back end, JT Miller, and to me, Connor Garland. Yeah, so the the last piece I want to just kind of say with the, the Canucks, you talked about the cap and with Besser coming up 
and things like that. The next few guys that they got to sign aren't a six plus million jump in money like it was for Pedersen and Hughes. They went from entry level contracts to getting paid seven plus million, just under eight. Brock Besser isn't going to go from 5.875 to $12 million. If he scores 40 goals, he might be pushing 10. <laughs> he could be, he could get a decent raise, but it's not, you're not talking about giving two guys $14 million over what they were just making. Same with Bo Horvat and JT Miller in two years. The, the difference in what they're going to have to hand out isn't so drastic as it was right now. And with money going off the books, it's going to be easier to sign these guys. The second part of what I was going to say is with the depths and the players they now have, Bo Horvat, you know, I want him to score at the pace he was, but he doesn't have to because they're a deeper team all around. So I think it's going to be spread out. There isn't going to be as much pressure on those Bo Horvath's a second player needs to, like, he has a role to play. He's a great center defensive side of the game is good and he can score, but the third and like those it's, it's going to be spread out more. And I think there is going to be more scoring down in the lineup, especially from the third line. If you got Pearson and pod Colson and guys like that. So that was just kind of my last thing. I do want to take maybe the last little bit of the show to talk about our teams and Twitter. Cause there's a couple things I know that you and I have talked about off air regarding it and, what we keep overseeing on Twitter. So we'll save that for the end of the show. Actually, it's coming up right at the start of my take on the Calgary Flames. So we can talk about it then. Um, Canucks Nation, I, we'd love to hear from you guys. Where do you see this team finishing? Are they a playoff team? Are they a contender? Can they make any noise in the Western Conference? Reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon1 and Ken, the, the Canuck fan, at the BleacherCon2. Come at us. I want to hear from you guys. So moving on from the Vancouver Canucks, and let's talk about a team that we all want to talk about now, the Calgary Flames. <laughs> to me, there are a lot of questions on the Calgary Flames. Probably too many for that I'm comfortable with. But I want to start off, and Ken, you just mentioned this, and Twitter. Flames Twitter. Right now, there is a ton a ton of negativity towards this team and Brad Trilliving and Daryl Sutter. And you know, people are calling them dinosaurs. People are calling them saying they passed the game by absolutely harping on this team for any of their acquisitions. You've got the, you know, Richardson, Lewis, Richie, Zadorov, like it, it, it is cut and paste flames Twitter every day where it's those same four names keep coming forth and you're making assumptions over preseason play and stuff like that. Here's what I want to say about the negativity on Calgary Flames Twitter towards these players. Daryl Sutter and Brad Treliving clearly have a vision of what they expect this team to be. They expect this team to be hard to score against, be a big bodied physical team that we haven't seen in a long time. And they've made moves to identify this identity that they want to have. Are they the sexiest moves out there? No, but would you rather a coach and a GM be on the same page or not be on the same page? Here's my take on it. These two are on the same page and whether we like it or not, and we agree with Eric Goodbranson or Trevor Lewis, at least they have a vision. They're building towards something. They want to be a team that's hard to score against. Would you rather... They have no vision and Trilliving be bringing in guys that Sutter doesn't want, 
because that could go off the rails real fast. They're on the same page. So you know what? Let's let this play out. For all we know, this team may be really good, but you're jumping to conclusions based on names, not based on, you just said it, Ken, and yours. On paper, you may not like it. On the ice, this could be very successful. We don't know. Let it play out, for Christ's sake. So I almost logged out when you said, team, we all want to talk about the Flames, but when it comes to this, I, 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 my piece with the Canucks Twitter, I'll say real quick, and then I'll, I get the same from Canucks Twitter. They harpen on guys that Jonah Gadjevich was going to get sent down to Abbotsford. He got picked up on waivers. There's a reason he didn't make the lineup. There's a reason he didn't play in more than two games in the preseason. He may have had a great camp. Others were obviously playing better and had a better camp than him. And that's why he was going to go start the season in Abbotsford. They said we had plans for him. It wasn't like we were just going to dump him. But again, they're, they're just talking about Canucks Twitter is harping on the fact that, oh, there's another prospect gone. Oh, we lost Dolan, you know, Jonathan Dolan and this guy to San Jose. And well, Dolan and Gadjevich might light it up in San Jose because their top line is Hurdle, a guy they just drafted this year, and someone else I've never heard of before, or Jonathan Dolan. The San Jose lineup is horrible. So, of course, guys are going to play up in spots they don't belong in. Jonah Gadjevich and Jonathan Dolan are not top six players on the Vancouver Canucks. So when it comes to that, Vancouver Canucks Twitter is very on the, oh, well, we let this draft pick from five years ago who never did anything for us go, and now he's in this organization. He scored two goals in a week. Who cares? He cleared they didn't do enough to make the roster on the team to do this. So I get the negativity and just the harping on the one thing over and over and over again. I will say Eric Goodbranson was a Vancouver Canuck, I think, in 2016. He was brought in in a uh, trade and there was a lot of expectations and he lasted the year. You're kind of getting what you're getting with Eric Goodbranson. Like based on it, I, I get being disappointed with it. And I said it on double digit hockey with John and you, I don't think there's too many other teams looking to pay him 1.9 field, 1.95 million. So I get the disappointment in giving that kind of money to a player who has shown in season, a disappointing level of play. Yep. Nikita Zadorov, hey, if you guys don't want him, send him to the Canucks. I'll take him. I don't mind his game. I think I would have been happy with him coming to, to the team. A lot of teams have wanted him over the last few years, so I don't get it. I will say the four or five guys that they're talking about right now and harping on that with the Trevor Lewis, the Brad Richardson, Zadorov, Goodbranson, I'm glad it's given a bit of a break to the um, – Eichel talk to Jack Eichel, which is now coming back up because they're saying the trade talks are ramping back up. Okay. So we're in agreement here on the, on the Twitter end of it. It's there's a lot of armchair GMs and a lot of armchair coaches out there. Let's let them goddamn play hockey first. And let's see what we actually have. I want to jump into the, into the flames uh, preview here. To me, there's, I'm going to break it down into the forwards, the defense and the goaltender. The forwards, the big question is, is this group the group from 2018 or is this group the group from 2020? They have to have a return of production from Monaghan, Kachuk, to a lesser extent, Kadrow. I still think Kadrow's been playing well. I think his numbers tailed off based solely on Sean Monaghan's terrible play the last couple of years. Monaghan, 
Kachuk have to return to form. If they don't, the season's done. I can just stop talking right now. We need, the Calgary Flames need further steps from Andrew Mangiapane and more importantly, Dylan Dubé. Dylan Dubé has to push 20 goals this year. Andrew Mangiapane, I think, is going to be a 20-25 goal guy. He's started to score at that pace. Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau, I'm sorry, I do not want to see these guys playing together. Their last two years, they've been underwater against other teams' best lines. You can maybe give them a 10-game sample size and maybe toss Blake Coleman on their right wing. Can he be the glue guy? Sure. But if this isn't working, split it up. Like, we waited too long last year and it killed us. Michael Backlund has got to be a Mr. Everything for this team. He has to score to defend. He has to be a mentor to Majipani Dubé. He has to be good on the penalty kill, on the power play. And our bottom six, I know there's a lot of harping on Flames Twitter about this bottom six. You've got guys, Lucic, Pitlick, Richardson, Lewis, Richie. These guys have to be plus. Be hard to play against. They have to provide good special teams penalty killing play. If that bottom six at the end of the season are not plus five, we are in trouble. They were brought in to provide defensive stability to this team. If they don't provide that, the Calgary Flames are in trouble. I think they will to some extent. I don't mind the Pitlick move. But if they don't, again, we're done. So the forwards are, there's lots of question marks there, but there is some high-end talent. Like if Goudreau, Kachuk, and Lindholm, if we get them playing together like they did at the end of last season for the last, I think it was 12 games, they were, Johnny Goudreau was third in the NHL in points in those last 12 games. When they've played together in the preseason so far, they've looked like a legitimate top line. If the Calgary Flames put them together, and if they look like that top line, it could be an okay season for the Calgary Flames. Ideally, I want to see Goudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk play together, Majipani, Monaghan, and Coleman. And there might be a flip-flop of Backlund and Monaghan here, depending on what you get from Sean Monaghan. I think Dubé, Backlund, and Pitlick are a decent third line. And then it's going to be a mix match. Lucic, Richardson, Lewis, Walker Dewar, Glenn Godden, who appeared to have made the team. Brett Ritchie, I think there's going to be some rotating bodies here, but like I mentioned, I'm not as worried about the production on that bottom line. I'm worried about, are they hard to play against? And do they, are they plus players at the end of the season? If they are, then I'm going to say it's probably a success. Ken, what are your thoughts up front on the Flames? My thoughts on the Flames up front is, and you kind of said it, how many more years are we going to ask? Is this the flames of 2018? It's been asked in 2019, 2020, 2021. We're, we're going on a long time of asking that question. I think they have the talent. Like Sean Monaghan, and I'm sorry, John, I, I, he's done. There's been way too many seasons of saying he has to have a bounce back. He has to have a bounce back. I think what you see from Sean Monaghan is what you're going to get. And you got them for two more years. I tend to and agree. I, 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 I'm not doing this as a Canucks fan taking a shot at the Flames. I'm doing this as a hockey fan looking at it. That's too many times you're having to ask that question. If you have to, have to ask that question more than twice, that's what you're getting from that player is what you see. It's no different than Jake Vertanen and, and Sam Bennett. What you saw is what you got. And I think for Sean Monaghan, you're seeing that. I think your top six is fine. I don't think there's really too many issues with that. I think 
I think you're. You I think the top it. nine is fine. Yeah, well, I think you nailed it though by saying that your bottom six have to be plus players. They if because there's not a lot of speed I'm looking at on that bottom six, so they got to play good defensively and not get burned. They play against some fast skaters in the Pacific Division. Um, I don't know if Connor McDavid's going to salivate at that line, but if they can play him difficult and shut him down with a big body check, um, you know, we haven't got to the defense yet, but if Chris Tanev can stop tripping him at 110 miles per hour, then like, come on, Connor, shut up. Um, Thank you. Again, let's see what they do on the ice. Yeah. My question for you with the forwards though, is because you have two big names that are on the final years of their deal. Matthew Kachuk, who's making $7 million right now, and is an RFA looking at, a, what, a minimum $9 million offer? Yeah, I think it's 9.5. Qualifying. And Johnny Goudreau at 6.75 in a UFA. If this team tanks it over the first, say, 30 games, come trade deadline, are they still flames? That's my question about the forward group. Goudreau, maybe not. Uh, Kachuk, for sure. You're not moving on from Kachuk. If he's on You mentioned it. But if yeah. he's underperforming, do you want to give him $9.5 million? Even It'd be a one-year year. deal, and then you'd potentially move him next year. I'm, I don't know where I want to go on that. You kind of mentioned it when you were talking about Brock Besser. This is a contract years. So we could very well see very good seasons from these two players. And I hope we do, because um, Kachuk needs to earn that qualifying offer. I'm going to move on to the defense score here. There's one glaring question. Who fills the void of Mark Jordan? I don't know that it was addressed by Brad for living. I'm not hundred percent sure it needed to be addressed externally. Uh, I know there's a lot of people really disappointed. Jordan was gone. He was good last year. We're forgetting. He was not good the year before. Jordan was with 37, 38 years old. Like, and there was also a leadership issue on this team. And I'm not blaming Mark Jordano, but maybe it was Mark Jordano. I don't know. Here's where I'm going with this. The key to the Flames' defense is going to rely on Rasmus Anderson and Yusuf Alamaki taking significant step forwards, and especially Rasmus Anderson returning to 2019. He was great. Oliver Shillington could also push this group and replace Yusuf Alamaki. If one of those three guys can really cement themselves as a top-pairing defender, top-four defender, then I don't know that we're going to feel the loss of, of Mark Giordano as much as we are. Maybe it's Nikita Zadorov. Maybe I'm a little worried about the amount of penalties he takes, but you know, somebody had to replace Sam Bennett's penalty minutes. So might as well be Nikita Zadorov. Can Tanev stay healthy for 82 games? That's a big question mark for me. And can he be a mentor like he was for Quinn Hughes for a Valimaki or a Shillington? Can he turn them into really good players? If he can, then I don't know that we're going to feel the loss of Mark Giordano nearly as much as people think. Hannafin, is he healthy and ready to repeat his, his breakout season in 2020? He's coming off a significant injury, so I'm a little worried. And can he anchor his own defensive pairing without Tanev? I have Hannafin playing with Anderson kind of as the, I guess you can call them the number one pairing. Can those two, and they did it in the bubble, can those two for 82 games be a number one pairing? Maybe. Can Chris Tanov and Yusuf Alamaki or Oliver Shillington or Zadorov be a number one pairing? Maybe. Or does Tanov and Hannafin have to put together and let the other guys figure it out? I don't know. What is Zadorov? I don't know what he is. He's a big body, physical guy. He's got to stop with the penalties. He has to. So 
And good Branson. He's got to play simple. He's going to play. I hate to say it, but I really hope at some point either Stone or Mackey transplant him. I'm not sold on good Branson, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until I see it on the ice. Ken, am I off base at all in the Calgary Flames defense? I don't, I don't think so. I think when you talk about who's going to replace uh, Geo, I think Tanev has the ability to kind of take that defensively. He, he'll be fine. The, the health thing you brought up is legitimate, but I think quiet leadership comes from Chris Tanev and defensively he's, he's going to fit that role. You know, he's not going to maybe get as many points as, as Geo did, but he's going to allow his partner to. So I think he has a lot more upside at, at 31. He's your, he's your old guard on the defenseman. He's the old guy. You don't have a 36, 37 year old geo on that back line anymore. So I think, I think Chris Tanev is going to, for me, is that guy on the defense that will place Mark Giordano. Um, Hannafin, I think will be just fine. The part, I think I said this to you before is your defense has a lot of reclamation seasons on it that have to put and that's to me that's a little concerning i don't think that it can't be done but i think yusuf alamaki and oli ulevi are possibly cut from the same mold high expectations and just not putting it together and both had injury issues and maybe that's why so to me that i think you're not far off with a lot of it but i think you got a lot of question marks and you got a lot of guys that have got to have comeback seasons or play better than what they have in the shown over several seasons. I totally agree. I, when I put this together, I said defense, biggest area of question mark. For sure it is. I don't know what we've got back there. I think there's guys who, if they play well, could make it hunky-dory. I'm just not convinced that that's going to happen. I'm going to move on to the goaltending. This is pretty cut and dry for the Calgary Flames. If Markstrom can stay healthy and be the goalie of the first 15 games from last year, this team's set. Because Sutter's going to ride him. Dan Vladar, I know there's a lot of people gushing over him. He's played very well in the preseason. All I ask is that he plays better than David Riddich did last year. Because Riddich, uh, and I'm going to take some heat for this, Riddich wasn't that good last year. If Vladar can offer semi-consistent backup goaltending, because the Flames have 14 back-to-back, so that's probably 14 Vladar starts in 68. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. That's a lot. And 68... Markstrom starts. I think that's kind of how it's going to shake out. Vladar has been good from what I've seen in the preseason. He has let in some soft goals. He's played to a 915 save percentage. So if we get that, we're set. The Calgary Flames, what has to happen for success for this team? Jacob Markstrom. He is the key to all of it. If Markstrom plays like Jacob Markstrom can, the Flames are fine. If Markstrom gets hurt and we're relying on Dan Vladar and not much else after that, the Flames are in trouble. The Calgary Flames' top line can't be underwater against other teams' top lines, and we saw it a lot last year. We saw it a lot in the bubble. Goudreau and Monaghan playing together doesn't work. I can't watch that again. Kachuk has to be Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk has to earn that $9.5 million qualifying offer. If he does, we're in good shape. Hannafin, Anderson, Tanev have to play like top four defenders. I think they will. But then one of, I mentioned it, one of Zadorov, Bellamacchi, or Shillington also has to fill into that role. We have to get strong special teams, especially penalty kill. This isn't a team that's going to score a lot of goals. So we can't be bleeding goals on the penalty kill. We have to have 
a top 10 penalty kill in the league because this team's going to have to win games 2-1, 3-2. There's no questions asked. There's not going to be a lot of 7-2 Flames victories this season. Realistic expectations of the Calgary Flames, anywhere from second to fifth. A worst-case scenario, they're battling the California teams. If all these ifs don't come to fruition, I'm sorry, there's a potential that we could be in sixth, seventh in this division. I'm a little worried. My prediction, third in the West, third in the division. Battle of Alberta in the first round against the Oilers, and I think the Canucks and Flames are going to battle each other for third and fourth all year long. Yeah, that's how I, I have the Canucks third, Flames fourth. So, obviously – home team bias for both of us on that one. You brought up, and I wanted to mention this overall, about Zadorov and his penalties. I think all defensemen are going to have to be careful because with the league yes. crackdown on cross-checking, from what I've seen in the preseason, it's a joke because they're t- taking defensive battles in front of the net and calling a penalty when the defenseman puts their stick on the player, on the forward, and pushes them away. That's now a cross-check. It's not. That's a def- Defensive battle. I completely agree with the whole rear back and just hammer down on a forward in front of the net five times before you actually get a call that fine, fix that, but don't take away the pushing and battling that happens in front of the net because you're going to have eight power, you know, teams are going to go three for eight on the power plays every night, both teams so far in the preseason. That's my biggest complaint is how weak they are of some of these cross checks are being called. It's a joke. Yeah, I agree. I tweeted it in the last, I think it was two games ago, flames and jets preseason. I was like, if that's a call, I don't know if I can maintain, or if that's a penalty, I don't know if I could keep watching the NHL. It's there are some pretty soft calls and I'm in agreement. I hope it, it doesn't carry on flames nation. I, we want to hear from you. What do you think of the back end? I know there's a lot of negativity on Twitter. Have at me at the BleacherCon 1 or Ken at the BleacherCon 2. Let us know why we're wrong and you're right. Because I see a lot of it already on Twitter, but I would actually like to get a little substance to some of those tweets, please. Yeah, it's easy to just say, oh, should have done this or should have that. There's, there's reasons that we're all in the jobs that we are and they're in the jobs that they are. They, uh, they might, tend, might tend to be a little bit better than we are at it. So we're not well in the said. boardrooms. We're not in the meetings. Let's uh, let's let the executives, ownership, and management do their job. And as fans, we'll do ours and we'll watch and support our teams. But as Trevor said at the beginning of the show, we got something planned for you next week. It's going to be a CFL uh, show. So make sure if you are a CFL fan or if you're not and you want to learn more about the league, tune on in. Find out why it's great. So that's our show for this week. Don't forget to check us out every Monday on our, our premiere show noon pacific 3 p.m eastern unhinged sn.airtime.pro we got other shows on throughout the week check out the rest of the network as well that's it for us hope everyone has a great canadian thanksgiving or down in the states columbus day enjoy your long weekends everyone thanks everyone